You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. Live from Bloomberg's world headquarters in New York, I'm Ed Ludlow. Caroline Hyde is off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up on the program, OpenAI kicks off its first ever developers conference with engineers and entrepreneurs gathering in downtown San Francisco. We'll break down what we expect from the event. Plus, we'll push ahead to earnings this week and get the macro take on big tech's results as companies deliver even bigger profits than Wall Street anticipated. Will it last? And Apple is in search of a new growth engine after warning on a slower holiday season. Can the Vision Pro solve that problem? We discuss. But first, the maker of ChatGPT, ChatGPT sorry, is about to still go through a kind of Silicon Rally rite of passage. Today is OpenAI's first developers conference in downtown San Francisco. Hundreds of software engineers and entrepreneurs are gathering to hear about the best use of the company's tools and how they can build their own products with the underlying GPT technology. Who have we got on the ground? Bloomberg's Rachel Metz is at the developers conference. Set the scene for us. What is this event symbolized, Rachel? This event is a really big deal for OpenAI. Uh, it hasn't had a developer conference before. We've seen so many technology companies that are big and want to be larger uh, create these events to get developers more involved with their products over time, like Apple and Meta. And uh, we have Microsoft, Amazon, and they do these events year after year. And they've, in many cases, become a really big deal for a company to telegraph what they want to share, both with developers and eventually with consumers. So we relaunched the Bloomberg Technology Show almost a year ago to the day. And it's almost a year ago to the day that, that ChatGPT was made public. It's more towards the end of November. But OpenAI has just dominated, basically, the discussion, at least, around the work in generative AI and the foundation models that power them. How big is that lead right now, do you think, Rachel, based on all the reporting you've done over the last 12 months? I think it's big, but there are a lot of companies that are really getting in there and creating their own models, um, coming up with their own tools. There's open source. There's also from large tech companies. A lot of people are really interested in this space, and it's going to be interesting to see both what OpenAI brings out so it can stay ahead and also what happens in the months to come. 
so the, the one side of the AI story that we love is there's still a human side. There's the who, who, who's who in the world of AI. Uh, we expect Sam Altman, of course, to be on site, right, Rachel? Absolutely. I think we'll, there's probably a bunch of executives here. I haven't had time to wander around too much yet, but Sam is expected to be here. Uh, I believe Mira Marathi will probably be here. She's also um, a very important executive at the company and probably a bunch of other people. I mean, it's a really interesting time for the company. I would guess that if you could be here, you'd probably want to be here. Bloomberg's Rachel Metz on the ground at the OpenAI's Developers Conference, and she will be reporting across all Bloomberg platforms throughout the day. Thank you so much. Another story we're watching, Elon Musk revealed his own artificial intelligence bot to challenge ChatGPT over the weekend, called Grok. He claims the prototype is already superior to GPT 3.5 across several benchmarks. It's the first product of Musk's XAI company, and it's currently testing with a limited group of users in the US. But interestingly, you have to be an X the company formerly known as Twitter, premium subscriber to get on that wait list, something that I signed up for overnight. Let's stick with AI and bring in Mike Mason. He's chief AI officer of global tech consultancy ThoughtWorks. And Mike, I wanted to get you on the program because this is a moment where we can say, wow, what a 12 months it's been. You heard me frame it to, to Rachel in terms of what OpenAI did first in November of 2022. Do you see them as having, particularly in the software space, right, a clear lead in the field of generative AI? I think they certainly do have a lead. Uh, they, they were first out of the gate with uh, GPT 3.5, uh, then 4.0, and uh, just a, a month or so ago, they added uh, GPT 4V, which is adding vision to their product. Um, they're also, you know, scaling very strongly from a revenue perspective. Uh, but I think they are not the only game in town. Uh, certainly, we're seeing. Um, uh, features from Microsoft, uh, Google, uh, Amazon, um, all of the cloud players are really adding AI into their platforms. Uh, I think AI is going to be the next battleground uh, for those large companies. Um, it is uh, almost a bewildering array of options. Uh, so ThoughtWorks, as a technology consulting firm, we advise our clients on how they can build technology to solve their biggest challenges. Um, and uh, AI is certainly in that list. Uh, we worked with one client uh, where we were uh, helping them with their AI strategy. And uh, before we'd even got started, uh, they showed us 270 ideas for how Gen AI might improve their business and, and create value for them. Um, and so, you know, Clearly, having ideas is not the difficult bit. Um, it's figuring out uh, which of those ideas are really going to create um, business value for you, and, and then uh, doing a proof of value, and then getting that into production. Uh, something that we're seeing a lot happening is that companies are able to do a proof of concept, but they don't really have uh, the machinery in place to take that through into production at scale, delivering value. And so that's an area where we can help. Well, a company having 270 ideas, I don't know that there are 270 many large language models on the market to choose from. Maybe there are that many. I think we're talking about those with sort of tens of billions of parameters, you know, from GPT 3.5, Llama 2, the work that Anthropic, Inflection AI are doing, things like that. Today is the OpenAI Dev Conference. And, and when a company holds, a, holds an event like this, Mike, what is it that you want to hear from them? 
Well, so I would expect to hear um, more about model features. So uh, new features that they're introducing, maybe more vision, uh, maybe some code generation, uh, maybe also multimodal models. Um, so that's a model that can work uh, across uh, text and speech and image and possibly video, uh, both for input and output, and can kind of fluidly move between those modes of interaction. Uh, I'd expect to see greater clarity around costs uh, of using these models. Models. One of the problems with generative AI is that the costs are unpredictable, um, and, and that can be a, a, a serious barrier to uh, getting these things into production and creating value from them. Uh, I might also expect to see uh, some words around safety features. Uh, safety, of course, is a huge factor in AI. Uh, we put out some consumer research a couple of weeks ago uh, where we interviewed 10,000 consumers about their attitudes towards AI, and we found that more than 90% of people uh, had concerns about uh, data privacy, their data usage, um, and whether companies are being uh, responsible and transparent with AI. Yes. And actually, I really think um, there's something there. You know, uh, taking a privacy-forward stance can be a brand-enhancing move. We're just showing uh, on the screen, you know, the, the cloud provider perspective, because ultimately, if you're a company that wants to invest in AI, what we're talking about here is compute. And you mentioned the costs associated with that. I've reported that, that OpenAI will likely book a billion dollars of revenue this year. But there is a concern about the, the competitive pricing to bring in customers and then the long-term profitability, because crunching the data is proving expensive. How closely do you look at that, Mike? Well, I think it's difficult to look at it closely because those figures are uh, closely guarded secrets from those companies. But reading the tea leaves, I would say that um, I don't think they really know whether their pricing is where it needs to be to make the money. You've seen both uh, Google and Microsoft uh, with Duet and Office 365 add Gen AI features to their productivity tool suites. Um, and that's uh, kind of in the $30 per person per month zone. Uh, I don't think they actually know whether they're going to make money from that. It's something that's going to shake out in the long term. Rumors around ChatGPT5, of course, uh, say that OpenAI is really focused on efficiency, and efficiency really means uh, bringing down the cost to run that. Uh, I think another option uh, that should not be overruled uh, is to uh, look at the open source world. Um, there's been amazing progress uh, with models that are less big, smaller. You know, you can run them yourself, you can run them in-house, and that's especially useful if you want to keep tight control over your data and, and not actually use a cloud provider for your AI. Well, the event is underway in San Francisco in about an hour's time, so whether they're rumors or not, we will get some more information later on in Monday's day. ThoughtWorks Chief AI Officer Mike Mason, thank you so much. Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, earnings of the big tech companies are kind of out the way. We're going to take a deeper look at how the group delivered in the past quarter, what that spells for the sets going forward. Big emphasis on profit. We're also taking a look at another Elon Musk company, Tesla. Uh, Reuters reporting that Berlin and Giga Berlin will be home to this 25,000 euro next generation platform that's around $27,000. You know, I was speaking to sources throughout the day. The long-term expectation was that it would be Shanghai that went first, but it looks like in the battle for affordable EVs, that battleground, at least from Tesla's perspective and according to Reuters reporting, is going to be done out of Berlin. The stock down half a percent.
Tesla did not respond to a request for comment. And a note on programming. Tomorrow, Bloomberg will introduce a new podcast called Elon Inc. It's going to break down the most important stories on Musk, all of his companies, and his empire across the Bloomberg newsroom. Tune into that. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Okay, time for Talking Tech. First up, Bumble founder Whitney Wolf-Hurd is stepping down from her role as CEO. Wolf-Hurd founded the women-centric dating app in 2014 and later took it public in 2021. She also briefly became one of the world's few women billionaires. She will be succeeded by Slack CEO Lydian Jones in January. And a Chinese startup founded by venture capitalist Kai-Fu Lee has taken the artificial intelligence space by storm with its $1 billion valuation just eight months into its existence. I'm talking about Zero One AI, which also received funding from the likes of Alibaba's cloud unit. The startup developed an open source large language model available in both Chinese and English. Plus, a flurry of AI-related hearings are set to take place on Capitol Hill this week. U.S. lawmakers in both the House and the Senate will gather to discuss possible measures to rein in the technology, especially as campaigning for the 2024 general election heats up. This comes amid President Biden's sweeping executive order, which of course was issued last week. Now, earnings for most big tech companies have come out, and while the group delivered better than expected profits, the outlook for those stocks are on shaky ground based on sales. Joining us from Chicago, Bloomberg's, Bloomberg's Ryan Vlastelica. It's so interesting how the story changed, right? We go into it going, oh, the, the Magnificent Five or Seven, they're propping up uh, profit es- you know, estimates for 2024. We've come out the other side and now everyone's worried about the sales outlook, Ryan. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing about this earnings season is really that no matter what narrative you really want to ascribe to, you will find a big tech result that will kind of fit your point of view. So Microsoft, for example, had very strong results. Uh, the stock initially did quite well, but given concerns about the macro backdrop and the Fed and Treasury yields and things like that, the stock barely ended higher on the day, you know, pretty slight gain. Then on the other hand, you have something like Alphabet, which was also a pretty strong result, except for some weakness in their cloud business, and that stock sank almost 10 percent following yes. results. So a pretty outsized reaction, especially for a company that would probably classify as one of the uh, the cheaper of the big tech stocks, at least by uh, you know traditional valuation metrics. And then last week, we saw Apple come out, and they really gave sort of a discouraging forecast for their holiday season, uh, especially given concerns about uh, the strength of their uh, business in China, which is a major market for them for both uh, supply chain and consumer demand purposes. That stock, however, it, you know, it fell on the day, but not too much, considering uh, because there was a little bit of optimism about Fed policy and uh, you know that that path going forward there. So again, a very mixed thing. There's a lot of focus on the macroeconomic environment, uh, but I'd say overall the the big tech earnings have been mixed so far. Um, but it does seem like people, you know, overall have been kind of looking past them and looking to what's to come next. Ryan, you are a member of the Bloomberg newsroom who's just like zeroed in on the Bloomberg terminal, every headline, every piece of data. And you flagged to me before the show this UBS note, right, which shows us mm -hmm. that not everyone agrees with the fear. You know, UBS's right. perspective is that tech stocks look attractive right now. Yeah, absolutely. It says uh, that some of the fears surrounding the group are, you know, overdone and the you know, the sector looks pretty well positioned for growth, especially in 2024. It expects it to be one of the most, uh, you know, robustly growing sectors uh, in the economy. So that's obviously a positive. It sees, uh, you know, a buying opportunity in semiconductors. It sees, you know, pretty, uh, you know, attractive margin prospects for software companies. And, you know, we're talking about pretty widespread optimism there. And I would say that even though there were some disappointments this season and some, you know, pronounced sell-offs, uh, you know, most analysts remain pretty positive about the group, especially uh, from a longer term perspective as far as their growth potential. So there's what's been and then there's what's to come. For me, mm -hmm. NVIDIA, you know, it's been an incredible ride on the stock year to date. Um, but now because it's so big, like from an index perspective and a weighting perspective, right. the market will pay attention, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to get, you know, additional focus, you know, again, for, you know, one of the several quarters in a row now, just because it is so central to the AI thesis right now. It's chips are really the first stop for anyone who's looking to build out any kind of AI infrastructure. Uh, past two quarters have been extremely strong as far as their forecast goes. Will they go for a hat trick? Will they do it again? I mean, we'll see. And even then, if they do, who knows how the stock's going to react just because, you know, it's a name that, you know, by many traditional metrics is, you know, kind of looking pricey, especially within a context of, you know, potential, uh, you know, higher rate environments. So that's one that people are going to be paying a lot of attention to. And if they kind of give any indication that AI demand isn't as, you know, strong as maybe some people are hoping for, that could have some broader implications as well. Definitely in the data center context. We focus so much on H100, but you have Grace Hopper coming down the pipe as well. Thanks to Bloomberg's Ryan Vlaselica out there. People want to keep flying, families want to go on holidays, they just don't want to pay Lufthansa's outrageous prices. So I think fares that next year, I mean, my operating assumption is fares will go up by a low double digit percentage again through the summer of 24. It'll be the third year in a row, third summer in a row, we'll see double digit fare increases in Europe. That was Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary earlier on Bloomberg Television with his outlook for travel demand. Also talked about 
the fuel prices at the moment and sort of delays in taking new airplanes impacting their ability to meet demand and sticking with travel demand. Delighted to say we're joined now by Expedia CEO Peter Kern. And, and Peter, it was interesting to hear what Michael O'Leary said there. You know, the challenges alongside meeting what he sees is demand. What kind of demand do you see? Yeah, well, we've seen, thanks, Ed, for having me, first of all, and uh, I, I enjoyed the clip. What we see is uh, steady demand, I would say. Uh, I think what he's talking about is that we are seeing some shifts as uh, customers are looking for lower-cost carriers over, over the main airlines. Uh, so he's probably benefiting from that and seeing a little bit of a move in his direction. I think overall air demand in Western Europe and in the, in the North America, et cetera, is pretty steady. But we're seeing generally price declines across the markets. So I think what he's discussing is a shift in his favor, but it's not necessarily uh, that it, that's true for, for everything across the board. Peter, what fascinates me about Expedia and, and the portfolio of, of brands and, and platforms is the granularity of your data. You know, you can tell me the, the demographics of people that are or are not traveling, where they're traveling to. Right now, what does, does Gen Z look like? I know that's a very specific question, but, but who's traveling? And particularly, how have you seen the younger traveler behave in the most recent quarter? Yeah, I think um, we don't tend to break it that way, but I can tell you that the travelers, uh, you know, that leisure travel has remained strong. Corporate still, you know, still not back to pre-COVID levels. Uh, you see a lot of differences, geography to geography. You know, we still have uh, Asia is still opening up to a certain extent, which has been a tailwind in Asia and Latin America, whereas the West has sort of normalized, I would say. Uh, and in general, uh, by and large, you know, people have been waiting for travelers to trade down, uh, look for cheaper alternatives. We haven't seen that very much. Now, it's true that at the lower end of the market, you see it a little bit more. Uh, but as you know, Ed, we introduced our, our new grand loyalty program called One Key, and what we're seeing as people get accustomed to that is they're actually trading up when they have value that they can use to get a better room. Like if they have One Key Cash, which is our rewards yes. currency, they trade up to a better room or a better experience or use that for something better. Alongside, so, sorry to interrupt, Peter, I was going to say alongside yeah. rewards, you've also focused kind of on content creation and influences on social media. Has that given any sort of tangible boost to your sales? Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're using all, all the latest marketing and, and reach tools we can. I mean, for us, it's an education process. When we launch something like OneKey, we want people to understand it. When we have you know, OneKey now in Verbo, which is the only place you can get rewards and vacation rentals, we want to make sure that uh, people that are interested in vacation rentals understand and appreciate the benefits. So sometimes you know, old-fashioned advertising isn't the best way, and it's easier to reach people with more information through influencers and such. But you, know, you referred to all the data we have on Gen Z, that's really what's powering our product now as we make the product better and better. The fact that we have all that data is what allows us to now take friction out of the process, use AI and machine learning to make, uh, make the experience better and the product better, and that's really where we're focused. There's the Expedia that, that the consumer and our audience around the world knows, and then there's the B2B business. When you look at your growth trajectory going forward, what is the splitting contribution of those two? 
Yeah, well, B2B's had a very good run for us, and in part, as I mentioned earlier, it has to do with the exposure of the business, which is exposed more to Asia and some of the markets that have come back more recently post-COVID. Um, but also, we've been building that business, building the technology in that business, expanding our customer base. So that business has seen you know growth in the in the 20s for the last several years, 20% top plus top line growth. Uh, last quarter was uh, closer to 26, 27. Um, but uh, right. we expect that to continue. It is a smaller part of our overall business. And as you know, we've done a lot of work in the last couple of years on our core consumer business with OneKey, with the launch of new products and capabilities. Uh, so we expect our bigger business to accelerate now. Yep. Uh, but the B2B business probably has slightly more, you know, tailwinds uh, still for a bit. Uh, Peter, very, very quick. Friday, your stock took off like a rocket. Biggest jump since November 2020. You must be happy yep. about that. I was. I don't pretend to understand the markets, but we've just been chipping away at it, and I think the market's starting to understand that all the work we've done has set us up in a better way to go forward than most of our competitors, and that's what we're really excited about. So all it's right, nice to see the market recognize it. Expedia CEO, Peter Kern. Good to catch up. Have you here on Bloomberg Technology. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in New York City this week. I want to get a quick check in on Bitcoin. It's been interesting to track this. Honestly, it's kind of been up and down. It's trades 24-7, of course, but there's a debate whether any movement that we've seen to the upside as we're around 35,000 US dollars per token has anything at all to do with the outcome of the FTX trial and Sam Bankman-Fried, who was found guilty on multiple counts of fraud, securities fraud and conspiracy. Let's get to Sam Bankman-Fried's guilty verdict. The 31-year-old MIT graduate has been charged on seven counts of wire fraud, securities fraud, and money laundering, and now faces the possibility of decades in prison when he is sentenced, which we think will happen in March. Joining us for more reaction on that trial, but its impact on the crypto sphere at large is Jalak Jobanputra, founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures, an early-stage VC firm that focuses on blockchain technology, crypto assets, AI, and human-computer interaction your reaction to the outcome of the trial. Well, Ed, it's great to be with you. Um, I think this is a huge sigh of relief for the crypto industry. Uh, we've moved on uh, from this uh, FTX trial or, or the news uh, for the last year. Uh, but at the end of the day, fraud is fraud is fraud. And it doesn't matter what industry, uh, it's good to see that justice is served. And we can go back to backing and talking about the builders that are, are in it to create a, a better world uh, using this new technology. That is sentiment, I think, echoed by a number of our guests on the show. There are those that, that acknowledge, however, that it had an impact right up until the, the jury gave its verdict because of what it represented from a sort of high to low collapse of the industry. As a venture capitalist, have you been able to go out and write checks with confidence over the last 12 months into startups that are working on the underlying technology or even backing a, a, a token of their own? Absolutely. I mean, we, we're long-term investors. We have a 10-year fund. I've been in the industry, uh, in, in the venture industry since 1999, so certainly seen many cycles. And even within crypto for the last uh, 10 years, there have been many cycles. So, um, look, I'm not going to lie, FTX uh, and, and what happened there was of such a magnitude that it did impact and, and have an effect on all, all entrepreneurs, uh, large companies and smaller companies in the sector. Uh, but 
what the jury showed is, uh, you know, four four hours to come to a decision shows that the evidence was so compelling that that people are not going to get away with this type of fraud in the industry, and and I think entrepreneurs uh, can rest easy there, and people who are passionate about the sector continue to build uh, and and have continued to build. Uh, downturns are notorious for uh, giving birth to some of the the most impactful companies, uh, you know, throughout history. Nick Carter was on the show on Friday of Castle Island Ventures, and he said that they they were offered the opportunity twice to Im invest in FTX, but they didn't feel right about it, and so they didn't. Mm -hmm. Just for, for sheer transparency of our audience, did you ever have the opportunity to back FTX or an associated group, and did you? Yeah, I'll do Nick one better on that. We, we had an opportunity three times okay. to invest in FTX and, uh, and, and did not. Uh, so we are early stage investors. We like to see governance even from the earliest stages in, in companies. Uh, Look, crypto regulations very uncertain around the world. It's getting more and more clarity as we move on over the years. Uh, but that lack of regulatory clarity actually creates more need for diligence on the part of investors uh, because we don't have regulators overseeing these companies. So it's really important to know that uh, you know other co-investors have the same uh, uh, kind of the same incentives we do. That we trust the entrepreneur in a sector that that's new and there's lots of capital floating around um, even even right now right. In, in a downturn. Well, so where does the capital go, particularly in the context of the underlying blockchain, right? Um, you know, on this show most recently, we, we increasingly talk about it in the context of gaming um, as opposed to crypto. Uh, where right now excites you most? Well, our thesis uh, from our inception at Future Perfect Ventures in 2014 was that uh, crypto, uh, which is part of Web3, so this intersection of, of crypto, AI, machine learning, uh, Internet of Things, this collection uh, and analytics of data as well as a distribution of data is going to be the next Internet. And so just like the Internet has impacted every industry, the media industry, financial services. Uh, we believe that Web3, crypto being a part of that, will impact every industry. So gaming is certainly one. Uh, I wrote a blog post recently about uh, what we're seeing around deep fakes in the media. So one of the really great elements of crypto and blockchain is the fact that you can track data provenance. And, and that's why FTX is a little ironic, because the industry is supposed to be all about transparency, not about cover-ups. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so this provenance tracking of data, um, uh, we, we know if, we are, if, if we're seeing a clip whether or not that is authentic data. Uh, what we need now is the intersection of machine learning, where we can collect and analyze this data in real time. So WhatsApp has, has uh, 40 million messages that get posted per minute worldwide. Now, there's no way to quickly analyze all of those messages right now in real time, but we, we are getting there. And, and when we get there, uh, we'll know that our data is authentic, or it'll at least be watermarked in a way where we know what we're consuming is authentic. Jalak Jabanputra, founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures. Great, wide, broad-ranging conversation. Thank you very much. Now, coming up here on the show, we're going to talk about the state of investing in Europe's tech sector and celebrate an anniversary with Shanali Dereika of Axel. That coming up next from London. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? 
What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Some news out of Europe. Artificial intelligence startup Aleph Alpha has raised more than $500 million from a consortium of industrial giants and financial investors as it tries to build a European rival to the large language models created by OpenAI and Google. Schwartz Group and the venture arm of Robert Bosch joined a group of seven other new investors in the financing round, which included SAP and HPE. All right, sticking with tech in Europe, it's time for today's VC Spotlight. And joining us today is Sonali Duraika, a partner at Excel, where she focuses on the consumer next generation financial services and software companies. Excel is also celebrating this week four decades of operating in Europe. Uh, Sonali, welcome to the program. 40 years of venture activity globally and in Europe. How did the firm do it? Thank you for having me here, Ed. It's great to see you, even if I'm in London and you're in New York. Um, you know, 40 years, it's a big milestone, and it's a really important time to be reflective. And what I'll say is that we've always had the DNA at Excel to find, to build a relationship, and to invest in founders, exceptional founders, really, regardless of where they are. And typically, that's been in really far-flung places. And it's this philosophy that made us open up our London office 23 years ago, opened up India 15 years later in 2015. And it's really been a core part of our success and why we were able to invest in companies like Qualtrics in Utah, Atlassian in Australia, in Romania and Bucharest, UiPath, one of the most iconic companies to come out of Europe, companies like Freshworks in Chennai in India. And to construct a firm that thinks global from the get-go 
we sort of walk our walk and talk our talk, if you will, and help our companies and help our founders to become these category leaders wasn't easy. But I think it's really been quite unique and it's been core to everything we've achieved so far. The, the rapid pace of companies being founded and funds being raised in the AI context kind of set up this nice USA versus Europe discussion, right? Is there going to be a viable European maker or builder of LLMs to take on the likes of OpenAI? You heard me mention Aleph Alpha uh, announcing a $500 million raise this morning. What do you see as being potential um, for European AI builders? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I, what I'd say is that if you just take a pause and think back around AI, because AI is really you know, the overnight revolution that's actually been going for decades. So it's more generative AI that's probably less than a year old. And when it comes to research, when it comes to citations, Europe's probably had sort of 50% more in terms of publications than the US. I mean, if you're going to do the US versus Europe. Um, that said, I think a lot of the funding activity and a lot of the startup activity and even the incumbent activity has been more in the US. But we're seeing a lot of promising uh, companies and entrepreneurs over here. And the majority of the activity so far has been more in the infrastructure, the large language model space, if you will. But the de novo, the native applications, if you will, that will come and are really native to AI, it's really still early inning. So I think we're very much a little bit like what mobile was. And if you think 06, 07, 08, uh, when iOS and Android came out, but it took a while for the de novo apps on mobile to really become big. And I think we'll see Europe play probably a bigger role in some of the more vertical AI applications. Uh, Sonali, as an aside, did you look at Aleph Alpha or even a Mistral, you know, that made a debut with such a giant round earlier in the summer? Yeah, see, it's our job, Ed, to, as you uh, can imagine, to meet with all the great founders, and we tend to do this even when the founders haven't even started to become founders themselves. We sort of track the builders, if you will, as, as you called it. So, uh, yes, I think, you know, we've uh, spent time with all of the interesting companies in the AI space. And I think what I'd say is that generally there's so many flavors of how to think about these large language models, this infrastructure, part of the stack from data sovereignty, from privacy, from language, from security, that there are a number of companies that are sort of trying to figure out which part open source, closed source, which part of the uh, box, if you will, or the part of the market that they own. So there's a number of these companies, and yeah, we, we spend time with all of them. The last time that I was in New York City was in that September period of, of the IPO window suddenly opening up and I was looking at your current portfolio and then the historic Excel portfolio, so many successes you know, of companies that, that went public and built a legacy. What's next in the IPO market? What is the next name to your mind, particularly out of Europe, to tap the public markets? Oh, Ed, I wish I knew. I, I don't have a crystal ball to figure out what is uh, going to be next. I will say, you know, from an investor, from an entrepreneur perspective, it is a bit of a confounding time. There's this deglobalization. Everyone's trying to figure out what the next move is from the central banks. We have some serious geopolitical issues, two wars. And so really thinking about what's going to make the IPO window, which feels tentative right now, truly open, isn't clear to anybody. I think the obvious answer would be a real bellwether stock to go public. So, but time will tell. I think nobody's in a hurry. 
a lot of these companies have a lot of cash uh, on their balance sheets, so everybody wants to make sure they have time to execute and really have that be successful, and so time will tell. One portfolio company currently is Monzo, and I think Bloomberg's listed Monzo at least as a candidate for IPO at some point. What, what happens next for them? Look, Monzo is uh, it's a special company. I mean, from a standing start, it's what is it, the seventh largest bank already in the UK, I think eight and a half million customers. I think one, uh, one in every th three, six people, sorry, in the UK have a Monzo bank account. And most of those customers find Monzo pretty organically. So it's got to a sizable position. And I think, you know, it, there was a point that a lot of the fintech companies were out of favor. And I think Monzo really prevailed because why of their promise to really deliver a fabulous product with trust and safety to the consumer. So I think companies like that really have a lot of options open to them. And I think that will be the name of the game where companies really want to control their own destiny. And that's the way we, you know, that's really our language with our founders and on, on the boards is make sure you can control your own destiny to the extent possible. Sonali, I want to reflect on the next 40 years, hopefully, for Excel and, and maybe the role that London will play in that. You know, that city where I was born, it was my home for most of my uh, life, Caroline as well. We're talking about London more and more outside of a more narrow scope of fintech. But as you look at the firm's future, what, what role do you see that city playing in your, your portfolio strategy and, and where you're writing checks? Yeah, you know, we're based in London, but we really cover a very vast footprint from the London office. I think at last count, we've invested in over 68 cities, more than 20 countries, just in Europe. Uh, I'm not even counting sort of outside of the European market. So London is an important base. I think it's probably the second most exciting place when it comes to deep tech AI talent and there's spades of it. And I, I count sort of greater London in that too. And our ability to really spend time with the right founders in the region from the London office is going to be very important. And so that's how we really view it. The UK is, of course, a big part of the venture capital scene. But as the principles and rewards of entrepreneurship really become even better understood and as technology becomes pervasive, there are really going to be great founders coming from everywhere. And this is the best place for us to be in order to travel and see them and spend time with them. Sonali Dereiker of Excel, congratulations on, on 40 years of, Thank you. of venture capital in Europe and beyond and, and stick with us in the next 40. Thank you very much. Okay, so Apple has not managed to snap out of a year-long sales slump. And on a conference call with analysts last week, the company hit it at a holiday period that would not be stellar maybe a little sluggish. It would mark potentially its fifth straight quarter of sales declines in a row. So now, Apple's in need of a new growth engine. Can the Vision Pro mixed reality headset fulfill that? Let's bring in Bloomberg's chief correspondent, Mark Gurman, who's been writing about this idea in Power On. It was interesting on the call, right, that the analysts asked questions about Vision Pro in how it's been received with developers, the early signs that they'll get when they start shipping it. But you've got a pretty clear thesis outlined in today's newsletter. Yeah, it was interesting because going into the call, Wall Street and the breadth of analysts we cite were pretty adamant that Apple would grow about 5% in the holiday period, right? But then Luca Maestri, the company's CFO, he drops this figurative, um, you know, this, this big announcement saying that it would be similar, right? The holiday quarter would come in similar to last year, which means like you 
either a decline or no growth. So flat for the fifth quarter in a row. And so this is a pretty you know, interesting situation for Apple where they are making a ton of money, but they're not growing like they used to. And so Wall Street and analysts and investors, they're looking for a new growth engine. And there's this strong potential for the Apple Vision Pro, this mixed reality. So one day be that growth engine for the company, right? It's a new category, but it's still very nascent. And at the get-go, it's going to be very expensive. And when they're putting it on sale in their Apple retail stores, it's going to be a very curated experience that requires appointments. It's going to require try-ons, sizing. And it's not, like Tim Cook said, going to be a graph-like experience, which means it's going to take a long time for them to gather numbers, gather revenue on this device. So combined with that retail approach, combined with the price, this is going to start out very slow. And eventually, I think they're going to need to switch more to an Apple Watch model where they're moving from a curated experience with appointments to something that is a bit more grab and go, let's say like a Mac, iPad or iPhone even. Well, it's, it's interesting how they plan to sell it, but also what it is, right? I remember being in, in Cupertino for the Unveil Vision Pro. You've written so much about this. It's a $3,500 product, high end, but it, it's almost designed for developers, not a mass market. So what is the plan with Apple for a sort of more approachable mainstream headset for a broader audience. Yeah, the first iteration of the product, like you said, is essentially a development device, right? This is a device that developers are going to build mixed reality, vision OS apps for, and then eventually hope and pray that they come out with a down market version, something maybe in the one to $2,000 range that eventually, eventually I say maybe 10 years from now, be a computer replacement. And the goal is to have that app ecosystem ready for when that day comes. And then the ultimate holy grail in this space, in the future of computing space with wearables, are lightweight augmented reality glasses. Now, if Apple's able to come out with well-priced augmented reality glasses in five to 10 years from now with a full-blown app ecosystem, going to have a huge hit on their hands, potentially something that rivals the iPhone. But the only way to launch with that type of success, that type of interest and that type of market is consumer education and to build an app ecosystem. So the Vision Pro for at least the next few years is going to be about educating consumers about this mixed reality technology how these applications work and to get developers on board because of course many of the apps written for this device will of course one day be compatible with other augmented reality headsets from apple all right bloomberg's chief correspondent for all things devices apple mark german i really recommend to our audience worldwide do subscribe to power on because it has all of the detail about present and future products coming out of Apple. Well, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Thanks so much to everyone out there that's reading uh, the news, but also listening to the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, all of the Bloomberg platforms, but we're also putting it up on Apple, Spotify, and iHeart. From New York City this week, all week long, this is Bloomberg Technology. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.